Well, good morning, everyone. How are we all doing today? Are we, are we doing okay? Yeah? Okay, I'm just, I'm just wondering, you know. I stand in the back. I, I worship with my hands uh, raised on the inside. I get that. And, uh, you know, I just kind of like to take the temperature of the room a little bit, and I'm just thinking, okay, are we, are we here? Are we good? Are we, uh, are we excited? Yeah, that answers it. <laughs> that answers it, doesn't it, right? That answers it. Uh, well, it's great to be here. It's great to be, have all of you here as well, and those of you online, it's wonderful. Um, it's a great day. I heard someone say this morning, I've never heard, I, I, I just catch up on sayings all the time, it's better to look at leaves than look at roots. Right? I'm, I'm here today looking at leaves instead of roots. Amen? So, better to be alive than dead, in case you don't know what that means. So, all right? Uh, <laughs> okay, um, I'm just, I just want to make sure we're good. I just want to make sure we're actually alive. We're looking at leaves today. Amen? All right. Um, we are continuing our series called Reconciled with Christ, or in Christ and with each other. And um, throughout this series, we have been, particularly in these last couple of weeks, have been fleshing out the covenant statements that we as elders here at Summit Ridge shared with all of you at our um, repentance and restoration service on January 23rd. And so I have been, for the last several weeks, kind of fleshing out what, what does it look like for us to covenant in the specific statements that we shared with you? What does it what does it look like? What does it mean? What does it mean for you and I? What does it mean for all of us as we seek to covenant with each other to act differently, to be differently, to interact with each other in ways that are more whole and healthy and Christ-like? And so we have been journeying through that for the past several weeks. And this morning, we are on our third covenant statement that I want to share with you this morning, and it is this, to be generous in our love, Forgiving in our attitude, gentle in our approach, kind with our words, and self-controlled in our actions. So this morning, that's what that statement says. That's what that statement reads. This morning, I want to hopefully kind of flesh out what it looks like for us as a church. Now, last week, we looked at the importance of encouraging each other and, and being an encouragement to each other because we realize that, um, that we know that Jesus is coming back and we want everyone to know Jesus. We want everyone to be a follower of Jesus. We want everyone to choose Jesus because we know that in the end, Jesus has already won and we want everyone to be with Jesus. And that is Jesus's desire. That is Jesus's desire is that every single one of us would be with him. And that is not something he's going to force on any of us. We have to make that decision for ourselves. And it is our decision alone to make. And so last week, it was really kind of the community having an influence on the individual. The importance of community kind of shaping the individual. Well, this morning, we're going to kind of go in reverse. It is the individual now kind of helping to shape community. Okay, it is, it is kind of what is our responsibility individually to help shape a community that we are a part of, particularly this community here at Summit Ridge Community Church. And so we're going to look at this through a perspective of asking the question, what does a healthy community look like? What are the fruits 
of a healthy community. And when I say that, what I want to make sure you understand is that this involves us individually helping to shape and form this community under what we will see here in just a little bit, under the authority and the power of the Holy Spirit. Okay? So that's what I want, want to make sure you understand. In other words, what I want to share with you is that this um, idea of a healthy community is not possible without the power of the Holy Spirit working on each and every one of us individually to help contribute to the overall health of a community. Does that make sense? Are you with me? Okay, good. That's great. Wonderful. I'm glad you're with me. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to flesh this out using the following passage out of Galatians chapter 5. If you have a Bible with you, I invite you to take that out. If you want to take out your phone and, and go on a Bible app, fantastic as well. We'll have the scripture passages on the screen behind me. Um, but what I want to look at is some really important fruits that help to create a healthy community. And let me just say this before I dive in. This is not an exhaustive list that I'm going to share with you all today. This is not the only list. This is a list, not the list. Okay. There are other aspects that contribute, I believe, to a healthy community. It's just not necessarily, you know, shared in the passage we're going to look at today. And so I want to make sure you understand that these aren't the only qualities. They are qualities. Okay. So I just want to make sure you understand that. And when I share this, I want you to understand that what I'm sharing is not, is not possible without us individually realizing this. So this comes at a very individualized level. Okay. So you have to understand this. We have to believe this about ourselves personally, not only just collectively as a community. Okay. All right. I, I, a lot of clarifiers, right? A lot of clarifiers. I, I'm often misunderstood and it's everyone else's fault that they don't understand me. Okay. That's just, it's just, if everyone would just do things the way I want them done, the world would be a much better place. Okay. That brings me to my first quality here. Christian community is wildly imperfect. Okay. Let me say that again. Christian community is wildly imperfect. And that word wildly is intentional. I put it in there. Okay. Wildly. We are so imperfect. It's not even funny how imperfect we are. We are that imperfect. Let me share with you out of Galatians chapter five, beginning with verse 19, what wildly imperfect looks like and why we are so wildly imperfect. Now it says this. Now the deeds of the flesh are evident which are sexual immorality, impurity, indecent behavior, idolatry, witchcraft, or another word for that could even be drugs because the Greek word there is pharmakeia, where we get the word pharmacy from, hostilities, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing and things like these of which I forewarn you, Paul is saying, just as I have forewarned you that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, let me just say this. We have to admit individually and also corporately that our community here at Summit Ridge Community Church isn't perfect. It's not perfect. We are not perfect people. Okay. We are not perfect people. We don't have it down. 
We don't have everything solved. We are just not there yet, are we? We are fallen, broken, sinful people. And there are reasons for this. One is this, is that as Christians, we are aware that we are in a battle. We are, in a, we are swimming upstream against a current that is absolutely bent on trying to get us off track. We are swimming upstream against a bunch of obstacles that want to knock us off our stride, that want to just tempt us away, that want us to get to go with the stream rather than against it. I love what Ephesians chapter 6 verse 12 says. It says this, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Our battle is a battle against an enemy we can't see physically. Think about that. We are in a battle against an enemy that doesn't show his face physically. We don't always see the attacks coming. We don't always know when it will happen, but they do come. Temptations, uh, all that kind of stuff that Paul listed just previously here. Uh, you know, all sorts of things that we are drawn to. By the way, what I love the way that Paul phrased that is the deeds. In other words, the deeds of the flesh, the deeds of, of what we, who we are kind of thing. I'll flesh that out <laughs> in just a little bit, just a, just a minute here. Um, but let me, I love the way that, that the paraphrase, the message, Eugene Peterson's paraphrase puts this passage, Ephesians 6 verse 12. He puts it this way. There is no weakened war that we'll walk away from and forget about in a couple of hours. This is for keeps, a life or death fight to the finish against the devil and all his angels. This is a lifetime battle, a lifetime struggle. This isn't a battle that is a short battle that will end quickly. This is a struggle for life, for life. We as followers of Jesus know this. We as followers of Jesus should be absolutely aware of the struggle that we have with a nature that is absolutely bent on just of destroying us. We are aware of this. In other words, as Christians, we should be absolutely aware not only of Jesus' grace, but in the light of the fact, or in the shadow rather, of how big Jesus' grace is in the shadow of how huge our sin is. Of how much we sin. It's just huge. It's interesting that Paul says here about the flesh, the deeds of the flesh. The Greek word for that is the, the word sarks. And what that word kind of means is the essence of humanness without God's grace. In other words, the essence of us with, without Jesus Christ at all involved in our lives. In other words, you strip away Jesus, you strip away his grace, you strip away salvation, you strip away all that Jesus brings to us, and you have at, in the essence the true humanness of who we are without the presence of Jesus in our life. And it is ugly. And it is not pretty. It is not pretty. It is horrible. Okay? Absolutely horrible. I, I, I oftentimes hear people say certain events or things that go on in our world, man, that, that is hell on earth. That this is hell on earth. 
And my response is, I don't think we know what truly hell on earth is because gratefully we still have God's grace with us. We still have God's mercy here. We still have the Holy Spirit that is present here on this planet. We don't truly know what it is to have hell on earth yet. There will come a time possibly when we will know. But it's not today. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Martin Luther described our nature by this. He said, our nature, by the corruption of the first sin, being so deeply curved in on itself, that it not only bends the best gifts of God towards itself and enjoys them, as is plain in the works righteous and hypocrites, or rather even uses God himself in order to attain these gifts, but it also fails to realize that it is so wickedly, curvedly, and viciously seeks all things, even God, for its own sake. In other words, what Martin Luther is saying here is that we are born with a bent towards sin and we are so good at it, we even use the gifts that God gives us as a way to kind of mold and manipulate whatever way you want to say that into a, for our own benefit. For our own benefit. We do that. It happens all the time, even in the little things. You know what I love as a pastor? One of the things I love? I love it when you guys tell me what a great sermon that was today, Pastor. What a wonderful sermon that was today. And you know what my response is? Oh, please, please don't tell me that. But secretly, I'm going like this. Oh, please, please. You know, just, oh, no, 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 no. It's not me. It's Jesus. It's him. It's him. It's not me. I am just a vessel for the Lord. Right? I'm just a vessel for the Lord. (laughs) No comments from the peanut gallery. This is a one-way communication this morning. (laughs) See, now we're awake. Think about that. Think about that. We, We take God's beautiful gifts that he gives us, things like the ability to create, the the ability to love, the ability to show mercy and kindness and all of these wonderful things. And even in that, We are so good at sinning. We take those qualities and we manipulate them into such a way that they are sinful. We can't even look at the word jealousy in a way that is good. When we come to scriptures and we say, our God is jealous for us. We struggle with that, don't we? Because all that we have known as human beings when it comes to jealousy is bad. Jealousy is a God-given gift, a trait of who he is. But with sin, we have manipulated it in such a degree that it is just awful. How many times have we used the things of God in many ways to sin, right? I want you to picture this. You've been in a prayer circle. And you're taking prayer requests. And someone, not you clearly, offers up a prayer and says, let's pray for so-and-so. This person is dealing. And you just go on and gossip. No, no, but it's a prayer request. It's a prayer request. It's, it's good. It's a prayer request, right? I mean, how many times do we do that? How many times have you heard someone do that? Right? Or, or someone offers a prayer request. I want to pray for so-and-so. And you hear a person says, well, what's going on? I can't say, but we want to know because we really want to know what to pray for to God. Right? <laughs> Guess what? brothers and sisters, it's none of our business. God knows. 
We don't need to know. He knows. But that doesn't stop us. Oh, give me the, the juicy details. I want to hear it. There is no more efficient grapevine connection of gossip and communication than in a church. Amen? It is efficient, and you don't need a computer. You don't need an email or anything. It can just spread like wildfire, fire, word of mouth. It is, there is nothing more efficient than a gossip train than in, than in, than in the church. It's awful. But no, 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 no. Dan, it's, it's, it's in the name of love, caring, praying for this individual. We are that sinful. We are so good at sinning, brothers and sisters, that we sin in our sleep. Do you know that when we pray for confessions of sins, the Bible tells us that we ought to pray for not only the sins we know that we committed, but for the sins that we committed that we didn't have any idea that we committed? We are that good at it. We are that good at sinning. Have you ever thought about the fact that if there's one area in our life that we excel at, it's in sinning? Everyone excels at it. Every single person excels at it. No wonder Paul writes this in Romans chapter 7, verse 15. For I do not understand what I am doing. For I am not practicing what I want to do. But I do the very thing I hate. Right? Why do I keep doing the things I know are wrong and not doing the things I know are right? Let's be honest. Because it feels good. Because it's natural. Because it's what we are when we strip away God's grace. It doesn't take any effort for us to act in sinful ways. It just doesn't. I love how one author, Jared Wilson, in his book, The Imperfect Disciple, talks about the fact that we live in a community and are part of a community that is wildly imperfect. And he says this about the idea of how much we are just sinful even towards even welcoming potential other people into this community. He says this, if anything, we should be astounded they let us into the community given what we know of ourselves. Did you ever think about that? We should be astounded that we're even allowed into this church. Me, the first. I'm astounded you've allowed me to be your pastor. I'm astounded. I think every pastor should have that perspective, by the way, because that's prideful. I need to be prideful, right? But truly, have you ever thought about the fact that you ought to be astounded that we're a part of this community, that you're a part of this community? If it were anything other than this, we would never be allowed in, ever. Given what we know of ourselves, given that we are the worst sinners we know, do you know that about yourself? Do you accept that about yourself? Do you really believe that you are the worst sinner you possibly know? Mm. Or do you say, well, at least I'm not as bad as that person? Oh, I'm bad. I admit it. But if you just put me up against so-and-so, I am not as bad as they are. And guess what we do at that point? We're sinning. <laughs> We're sinning. 
we are absolutely sinning. He goes on and he says this. It is a staggeringly arrogant thing to begrudge any other repentant follower of Jesus a place at the dance. If the bar was low enough for, to allow for our entry, what advantage is there to raising it? Wow. I, I want to just share something we know, and I want to just share it and declare it here. At Summit Ridge Community Church, we are not a perfect community. We are a collection of sinful, broken, wounded people who know the fact that we are the chief among sinners who have no right to be here whatsoever. And it is only by God's grace that we are even able to be in the seats here, to worship as we are able to worship, to interact with God's word as we are able to interact, to be with each other. And let me just share this. There is no one who is exempt from being a part of this community. No one. No one. Everyone is welcomed here. Because if we got in, whoo, everyone else can get in as well. Do you believe that? Or are you just shaking your heads out of politeness? <laughs> it's okay. I get it. We have to understand this. We are wildly imperfect. We have hurt people and we have been hurt. We have caused hurt and pain. We have misrepresented Jesus we have done things out of selfish ambition. We have, we have engaged in needless arguments. We have done all of this stuff. We have had factions. There, we have had at one point in this church, and I'm just going to share this, we have had two splants. Church split, but church plants. Splants. There you go. Right? right? We couldn't get along. We couldn't get along. So we separated. It's awful. It's awful. I am, you know what I'm amazed at? I'm amazed not so much, well, two things. First of all, I'm amazed the church is still around. That gives absolute testimony to the power of the Holy Spirit, not to us. The church, if it was run by humans, solely on human power, on human ingenuity, the church would have been absolutely obsolete and gone long time ago. Long time ago. And the second thing is, in, in spite of our brokenness and sinfulness, the gospel still gets shared. People still get saved. Jesus is still glorified. I, I don't know about you, but if there is no greater testimony to the power of the Holy Spirit than the fact that God still works His will through all of us. God draws straight lines with crooked sticks. And we're all crooked. We are all crooked. Okay. That's one. We got to understand that, brothers and sisters. We are an imperfect community. Here's the number two. Christian community is passionate about life. Christian community is passionate about life. And I'll explain why here in just a second. But this is what Galatians, the first part of Galatians, chapter 5, verse 22, says this. Paul says this, but, and remember that word but is really important in Scripture. What does that mean? It means that everything before it is canceled out in favor of everything that comes after it. So here's what comes after. Paul just listed all the sins of the flesh, our nature, 
But then he adds this, but the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace. And I'm going to stop there because when we talk about a community being passionate about life, I believe it is expressed in those three things, love, joy, and peace. It's interesting that the Greek word for fruit is fruit. There are some deep theological discussions there for you. And, 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 and fruit is a beautiful thing, isn't it? Fruit is sweet. Fruit is, unless you're a tomato, which is technically a fruit, um, right? By the definition, isn't it? There's debate about that. Um, but, but apparently a tomato is a fruit. Um, yeah, I'll fine, whatever. But um, aside from that, which I do like tomatoes, but I, I certainly wouldn't grab a tomato if i had a choice between that and an apple um but fruit is sweet but not only that fruit takes time to cultivate fruit takes time to grow in an agrarian society in which paul is writing to in, in in many ways is that they would understand the fact that while the sins of the flesh come naturally the fruit of the spirit do not like growing fruit, it takes time and it's a process, and, but when it yields, it is wonderful and you cannot wait to eat it. Amen? One of my favorite things, I mean, when, my, when, when Lori cuts up, she did honeydew melon this past two weeks with pineapple and cantaloupe, and when you get a good one, oh, and then you put it in the refrigerator. Literally, I don't stop myself, I'll eat the whole thing. And I'll justify it because at least it's not a candy bar. <laughs> right? It's healthier. It's healthier. Oh, it is so good. Which, by the way, I don't like apples at room temperature. They've got to be refrigerated. Oranges at room temperature. Yuck. They've got to be refrigerated. I mean, there's nothing, there's something about that juiciness of biting into an apple and peeling away that orange and eating that thing. It is just... It is so, nothing like watermelon on a hot day, cold watermelon. It's refreshing. It's sweet. It's delicious. That's what this is alluding to for the Greek word for fruit. Whereas the deeds of sin are natural, the fruit of the Spirit is not. <clears throat> we, brothers and sisters, got into the dance. We are in the community. And not only that, we know that we don't deserve to be here. Another author described why this is possible. And then I'll explain a little bit more. But he says this. Jesus wasn't blowing smoke. His major contribution to the world was not a set of aphorisms. I had to look that word up and learn how to pronounce it, actually. It means pithy observations, by the way. He was born in a dirty barn, grew up in a dirty world, got baptized in a muddy river. He's put his hands on the oozing wounds of lepers. He let horrors brush his hair and soldiers pull it out. He went to dinner with dirtbags, both religious and irreligious. His closest friends were a collection of crude fishermen and cultural traders. He felt the spittle of the Pharisees on his face and the metal hooks of the jailer's whip in the flesh of his back. He got sweaty 
and dirty and bloody. And he took all of the sin and mess of the world unto himself, unto the cross to which he was nailed naked. Why did he do this, brothers and sisters? He said it himself so that we could have life and have it abundantly, immeasurable, overflowing, oozing life. Brothers and sisters, we are a community that is passionate about life. Because of the love of Jesus, we, we have that life now. Because of the, what he did, willingly, we have life. We have life. We ought to be absolutely excited about the fact that we have life. That even in the face of death in which we will die, it will not be permanent. We have life. That ought to bring us peace. That ought to bring us joy. That is just what that is. Those are like attitudes, if you will, of love, joy, and peace. Because we know that Jesus made it possible for us to have that. And here's the thing. We can only realize the depth of it. We can only have those kinds of attitudes in our own lives through the power of the Holy Spirit, which he gave us when he ascended into heaven. He never left us. Never. He's just operating now in a very different way. These qualities we have only because of Jesus Christ. We ought to be filled with life. The worst thing, I think, in some ways, is going into a church where you just know, you have this sense of, man, I think this church is dead. Right? I think this church is, is dead or dying or on the way there. Right? I'm, I make fun of some of my other brothers and sisters, Presbyterians, Lutherans, call them the frozen chosen. Right? I'm just kidding, you know, but, but literally there are those believers out there who like have no exuberance for life. Let me just tell you something. I don't know about you. I love to laugh. I think humor is powerful. I think without humor, this world would be awful. I, I think sometimes I, I love to enjoy spending time with all of you. I love to enjoy all this stuff. Do you know what I did a couple of weeks ago? Many of you don't know this. I bought an Oculus. You know what an Oculus is? It's a virtual reality thing. That thing is awesome. <laughs> I, I get all giddy about it. I, I'm like, let's do, I, I, I get to like play like Darth Vader. Like, like Darth Vader is like seven foot tall. And he comes at you, like you, you look all around, you're like, how did they do this? And he points his finger at you. And now I'm to the point, like, I'm making fun of him. I'm doing like loser and, you know, I'm, I'm reaching out. I'm like, be good, you know, <laughs> I'm doing stuff like that. I'm having fun. I'm having fun. Go ahead and judge me. I'm not a gamer, but this is a lot of fun. I'm watching VR videos of in the ocean, and I'm like, how do, they, how, how do they do this? Here's a sea turtle. Little fact pops up. This sea turtle's been around for da-da-da-da-da-da. You know, and, and, and the, the scuba diver's taking you places and all that kind of stuff. I mean, I, I'm amazed. I'm just, it's just awesome. Our world is an awesome place. It ought to be explored. It ought to be enjoyed. 
The worst thing, I think, is when Christians come in and you're having fun. Like, it's like Jesus shows up at the end. Of, everyone out of the pool. <laughs> Jesus is here. It's like, Jesus is showing up, man. Let's dance. Let's have, Jesus went to parties. Imagine this, when Matthew got saved, a tax collector, you know the very first thing he did? He threw a Matthew party. You know what a Matthew party is? He invited all of his sinful, casted out brothers and sisters and said, you've got to come meet this Jesus. We're having a celebration. Come on over to my house. We're going to party. This guy is awesome. That's why we do things like a Super Bowl party. Oh, you shouldn't have Super Bowl. That's sports. And you know what sports does? That could lead to gambling. You know what gambling does? That leads to, for crying out loud, we just said we were invited to the dance. You Southern Baptists are turning over right now. Right? <laughs> there shall be no dancing. Get out of here. David danced in his skivvies before the altar of the Lord. Well, the ark. His wife didn't like it. That's right. But she was the daughter of Saul. She was not going to like much. She was already bent. I'm sorry. Right? I mean, brothers and sisters, wake up. Wake up for crying out loud. We ought to be enjoying life. We ought to be enjoying life, having fun. God made all of, well, you can't see it, but use your mind's eye. All of this outside as well as inside for all of us to enjoy. To enjoy. Go out and enjoy it. Have fun. Go and just be. And do it guilt-free. Enjoy life. Enjoy having people over. Enjoy other people's company. Enjoy it. Enjoy good food. My word, God made that stuff for us to eat and the animals know it. <laughs> Why do you think they run? <laughs> We're having alligator legs this afternoon. You might look at that and think that's gross. I'm trying them. I didn't get them 10 years ago when we had the last Super Bowl party we had, in which, by the way, the Green Bay Packers won. <laughs> Amen. But I'm trying them. Enjoy it. Enjoy it. We have a Brethren Church. It's from California. You might under, you know, understand they're from California. They, I get it, so go with me on this. They started a ministry called the Brethren Brew in which they brew their own beer. They hold Bible studies. And they drink beer. They don't take it to excess. There are standards and rules to help stop that sort of thing. But do you realize how many people they've gotten into their church who never would have graced the door of a church because of this? It's amazing. It's not for everyone. But you know what, immediately, our, our, I'm not doing this, but some of our brethren elsewhere, I'm not going to say where, out east, um, <laughs> they look at that and say, oh, no, brethren, don't drink. Uh, excuse me, mm, beg to differ, we're from Germany. <laughs> we came from Germany. You don't think our founders were, you know, once in a while having a beer? By the way, Martin Luther loved to drink. A mighty fortress is our God. How many of you know that song? Almighty, it's to a beer song, a bar tune. 
You can go, a mighty fortress is our God, a bulwark never failing. Right? I'm singing an old beer, beer tune when I sing that. Yeah, absolutely. My word. Enjoy life. Let me just say this about COVID. I realize COVID has been hard, brothers and sisters. I realize that this introduction of a virus that we have not dealt with before and a global pandemic that we have not dealt with before has been very hard. And we have done our best as a society, as a world, certainly as a country, to try to navigate this. And if there's anything that comes out of it is one is this. Science is never exact, is it? It isn't. If you're looking to science for absolute truth, you're not going to necessarily find it. That's not science's role. It never has been, never will be. Number two is this. And, and we begin to see this in our own country this past couple of weeks where you see states finally beginning to lift the mask mandates. And there's a couple of reasons why. I don't, I don't disagree with it. There's a couple of reasons why. One is this. Um, we're never going to get rid of this virus. It's, it's here to stay. We have to learn to live life in the midst of a world that is broken. We take risks every single day. Do you know that? You took a risk leaving your house today to come here. You take a risk staying at your house and not coming here. Those of you online. <laughs> you take a risk. Every single day, you and I wake up and we don't know if we're going to be going to bed or in a coffin. Every single day, it's a risk. Those lifts, the reality of lifting those mandates is the fact that, listen, we've done everything we can do. We have to learn to live with this. And number two is this, and I think this is just as important, is there was a sense that we as human beings cannot live at a heightened state of alert indefinitely. Psychologically, physically, mentally, emotionally, etc., 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 it's unsustainable. So let me just encourage you, brothers and sisters, get vaccinated if you haven't. If you can, please. If you can't, that's fine. If you want to wear a mask, wear a mask. Be responsible, be appropriate, think of others. Navigate this thing well. But live your life. Live your life. Live your life. It's still out there. God is still here. We still live in a fallen and broken world. It's here. Okay. Third is this. Christian community passionately endures each other's burdens. Do you hear this? Christian community passionately endures each other's burdens. This is expressed in the next three fruit of the Spirit that Paul shares. Patience, kindness, goodness. Patience, kindness, and goodness. This is character. This is position. It's interesting that one of the marks of the early church when it was just starting out in Acts chapter 2, as it's shared in Acts chapter 4. One of the marks of the Holy Church was that they met together regularly, never forsaking each other in the gathering of the believers together. And not only that, they ensured that everyone in their community had their needs met. And in fact, it even says there was no need among them. Believers happily shared what they had to make sure that others in their community we're provided for. I think a healthy mark, a healthy fruit of a Christian community is that we willingly, that we openly, and that we passionately bear each other's burdens. 
that we do that. We need to do that. We need each other. We need to 